It was the year that gave us Super Mario and the Super Bowl Shuffle. The year we met Marty McFly, Mr. Belvedere, and MacGyver. Fire up the flux capacitor and crack open a new Coke, because McQuaid Arcade is taking you back to 1985. Welcome to episode two of the McQuaid Arcade Podcast. We're talking games, movies, tech toys, and of course, all things 80s. I'm Barney. And I'm Biggs. All right, we are back with our feature presentation, 1985. This is a year... Man, we had a plan to do a whole podcast just about this one year. And we're going to talk about the different things we want to discuss throughout this show. But... uh, I mean, is there another year like this in terms of pop culture? I don't know if there is. 1985 stands as this watershed year of just tremendous creativity. Movies, music, games, and so many cultural artifacts have come from that year that have stayed with us to this very day. I wanted to get started and talk a little bit about some of the movies that shaped us. And the first one that comes to mind as being one of our all-time favorites that we constantly quote, we constantly think about is Goonies. I feel like we could do a podcast just about this movie alone. Totally. Did you see the reunion? Yes. The cute reunion they did on Zoom. That was awesome. Brilliant and hilarious. Josh Gad put that together. So funny. Just this is a short list of the movies that 1985 gave us. The Goonies, Back to the Future. Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Commando, Teen Wolf, Rambo, colon, First Blood Part 2. I think that was the full title. <laughs> Rocky Four, probably the best Rocky. Fright Night, absolute classic horror movie. Return of the Living Dead, Ditto, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Fletch, The Last Dragon, Day of the Dead, and of course the seminal classic, Jim Cotta. <laughs> the greatest no fusion. List could be complete. <laughs> The greatest gymnastics martial arts crossover film of all time. Undisputed. What's remarkable about this list is that so many of these movies have really stayed as cultural artifacts to this day. Like if you look around it, you know, there are great movies, of course, before and after 1985. But so many times you're like, this was incredible. And we look up the year and bam, it's 1985 over and over. We talk about something awesome from our past and it's like, guess what? 85. And it wasn't just movies. No. It was also what we were watching on TV. So some of the cartoons, mind you, in 1985, we were fourth graders. Yeah. So we were watching lots of cartoons and TV. Some of the great shows from that year, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, mm-hmm. right? Inspector Gadget, mm-hmm. a genius, hilarious show. Transformers, Thundercats. Again, we could do an entire show on Thundercats. Yeah. Gummy Bears, one of my favorites. G.I. Joe, Jace and the Wheeled Warriors, Gem and the Holograms. Robotech, the great Dungeons and Dragons. The great, and, and I'm going to jump in and say underrated. And when people talk about classic Saturday mornings cartoons, I feel like Dungeons and Dragons absolutely does not get the love it deserves, but it was amazing. It was one of the most you know anticipated cartoons. Every Saturday, that was the one I was yep. most excited about. The guy with the, the, the bow and arrow that had the fire arrows that were endless yes. is my favorite, right? It's my favorite weapon because it was so powerful, but it also was unlimited. I mean, one of the problems with having a bow and arrow, your quiver of arrows runs out, but this guy had magic arrows. Completely awesome. Now, granted, not all of these shows first aired in 85, but we, this is what we were watching. This was Saturday morning. I remember I had, I bought a poster board and made a giant matrix of all the Saturday morning cartoons. We talk about things that our kids 
don't understand from my childhood, the idea that you could only watch a show at a certain time is so novel and fascinating to my kids. The hoops we jumped through on Saturday morning to watch all the shows we wanted to show, wanted to watch was, uh, it was amazing. It was. And I have this great story in my head that I remember so clearly. I was with my cousin. It was a, it was a school afternoon, like a week to afternoon. And I guess we were off school for some reason and we were walking somewhere and I looked up at the, the, uh, clock on a bank, you know, back in the day, you didn't, I mean, we didn't have a cell phone or anything. And I guess I wasn't wearing a watch. And I looked up and sure enough, there was the clock on the bank and it said 324 and the pit of my stomach dropped out because at 330 He-Man was coming on yep. and we were never going to make it back in just a few minutes. So mm. I was starting to have a meltdown. And we didn't know, like we didn't know if there were going to be reruns. Cartoons were also real strange back then. The, the serialization of the stories, they were shown all out of order. You never knew if you were going to see an episode again. So it was a big deal to get there. I remember one of the shows that was really wild, that really felt different, was Robotech. That first aired in 85. Yes. We caught it. It was on after school. And that was one of the first shows where I, and some other shows did, I'm sure, but that was the first show that I really felt like, whoa, there's like a big overarching story here that if I miss today's episode, I'm going to miss some important story stuff. And the problem was, I felt, at least the times I was watching it, it was syndicated in such a way that sometimes they wouldn't make sense. I was like, wait, yeah. I know the last episode, and this is out of order. I'm sure of it. And you never, I mean, there, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all of the resources we have now. So you never really knew if you had just missed something or if it existed at all. Or I, I remember just really struggling with that. And now we're so spoiled. You can pull it up and see the entire list, and you can see where it comes from. But back then, you really were just at the mercy of the TV programming. And what's funny about Robotech, the classic story... It's several shows, you know, there's the three sort of main seasons, the stories. There are several shows that they just wrapped up into one and made up this new story. And that's what we got as Robotech. It was Macross and some other shows in Japan, but we know it and love it as Robotech. Really formative show. And it went on to, that, that was one of our first experiences with Japanese animation. I'd say probably our first like real important one. There was that, Voltron. Battle of the Planets was probably the first one. That was an old one. But uh, yeah, then of course there were the non-cartoon shows. Moonlighting. One of my favorites. That gave us Bruce Willis. The interminable Bruce Willis. <laughs> I admit I don't remember what that word means, but it seems like it fits. Fits perfect for Bruce Willis. <laughs> MacGyver. Which is you know, now is kind of a meme. It's just kind of funny. Everyone I mean, jokes it's, about it's almost like a buzzword, yeah, right? I mean, it's right. the way, the way we might take a, a brand name and sort of use it. Like I'm going to Google it. You're going to MacGyver it. That's yep. how, that's how culturally relevant this is. Even 25, 30 years later. Yep. Golden girls, growing pains, Mr. Belvedere theme song to which I still know every word. And I don't know why I could sing the entire Mr. <laughs> Belvedere song. I don't know if that would get us flagged for copyright stuff, so I'm not going to. Sub Maybe that's behind the paywall. Subjective. That's for the, the Patreon yes, patrons. Our Patreon subscribers. <laughs> At the highest tier, whatever that's going to be, they get to hear me sing Mr. Belvedere live for them. I'll give them wow. my personal number, and I'll sing it for them anytime. None of that is true. But still, support us on Patreon when we have a Patreon. Um, and of course, Knight Rider was on. It started in 82. Went through 86, but that was 
I mean, I feel like we can't not mention it when we're talking about stuff we were watching in 1985. Critical. One of the best shows on TV and still, I mean, culturally relevant, you know, that, that, that every, even little kids still know that they know it. 85 was the year that the Dukes of Hazzard came to an end. So we're still watching that as did the Jeffersons, which of course was an all in the family spinoff. Spinoff shows are something also that is really from that era. We don't really have that anymore, but Happy Days had Joni and Chachi and uh, the Jeffersons spun off. I mean, it's so interesting to see that there were the main shows that had these secondary things uh, that came off of them. And we don't really do that anymore. I mean, now, well, we don't really have that many mainstream shows that at least are culturally relevant. Although you were talking not too long ago that uh, people were mentioning shows that were happening on network TV and they were all completely foreign. You did, just didn't recognize any of the names. It wasn't even network TV. It was it was some of the streaming services now. There's so much stuff out. I was, yeah, it was some holiday. I was sitting around with the family and they were talking about, well, I'm watching this and that. And it's like, we used to know all the shows. Even if we didn't watch them, I feel like even 10 years ago, if someone mentioned a show, I would know at least that it was a show. I might not even know what it was about, but at some of these, there's just so much content now. It's, uh, yeah, it's a whole new world. It really is. And it, it's it's sad because we are losing in a bizarre way. It's, I mean, it's wonderful on one hand. We have just an abundance of cool options to to explore and lots of entertainment. But on the other, we're losing that cultural shared identity, right? What it meant to grow up at the same time was that you guys shared the same types of, of media. And now I don't know what our kids are going to talk to each other about. I mean, maybe some of the big YouTubers they'll remember. But of course, many of the things YouTubers are talking about are not directly related to what's going on at the moment. So they're kind of pulling a smattering of different ideas. I don't know. I mean, the music is all different too, because mm-hmm. now there's so much music and you pull it on demand. There's all these pieces that are different. Um, and, and this is something I think we've really lost. I talk about this a lot. The, the fact that we can't just browse a small curated list of things to explore in a weird way works against us because we don't share that, that experience together. And what about games? In 1985, we had yet to meet the Nintendo Entertainment System, which actually we wouldn't get in our little pause until Christmas of 86. But in 1985, we knew about it. And in fact, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, that I actually heard about it from my cousin who showed me a picture in the Sears catalog in 85 that we knew it was going to be available in the next year. Uh, and we started talking about it and getting excited about it. But we really didn't know very much about it until the next year. What were you playing back in 85? Well, I remember the when our neighborhood Kmart got the demo unit of the of the NES and there was just a line of kids waiting to play it and we had grown up with our main, you know, we had a few different systems, but our main system the two of us was the Atari 2600 with the big joystick and the one big button. Getting our hands on a controller with a directional pad for the first time, this weird rectangular controller. Everything about it felt new and fascinating. These games that looked like arcade games. Donkey Kong looked like the arcade. We had, then there was this new crazy experience with Super Mario Brothers that was unlike anything else we played up until that point. We had the privilege of seeing Howard Phillips, Game Master at Nintendo, talk about the early days when he was working in the warehouse. And they first got to play with the Japanese version of the Nintendo, the Famicom. And, you know, on the Atari, the 2600, there were arcade games. There was Pac-Man. It was awful. All the games largely were pretty bad. And he said for the first time, he was able to pop in a cartridge and have an arcade experience. They had Donkey, they had a Donkey Kong machine in the warehouse, and all of a sudden, this little box, they were able to play it. And it really felt like, like I said, there, there were plenty of video games and consoles around, 
but this was an entirely new experience. It really was. It was the beginning of the real revolution, especially coming after the crash of Atari, right? Because Atari really ended on a bad note when they were burying copies of E.T. in the, I guess, the New Mexico desert or the Nevada desert, yeah. somewhere in the desert. All those were lost because of the crash. And here we were going to try it again uh, with all these new properties and really new technology that that changed changed the way we looked at video games. Yeah, in 83, that was the year that the video game market, the home video game market, just crashed hard for a number of different reasons. There were, as I said, a ton of different consoles out there and television, Atari. There were several versions of the Atari. There was just so much. And just this deluge of games that were really bad. There was no quality control. Consumers felt, you know, confused and Games that were once selling for, you know, $40 were all of a sudden in the bargain bin. Home video games were out. The bottom had fallen out and Nintendo had to pull a bit of a a Trojan horse in order to get anyone to even sell the NES. They packed it in, of course, when it first came out with the light gun, with the zapper and with Rob, the robot, our robotic operating buddy. operating buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Which, to be fair, I thought he was honestly a lot of fun. But they had to make the thing seem like a toy. Like, no, 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 this wasn't another video game that you still have, you know, giant bargain bins that you're trying to get rid of. This was a new thing. And amazingly, it worked. Like earlier, Nintendo just has this knack for making things fun and feel like toys. Um, and they pulled it off. I love the way you put it, that they find a way to make it like a toy, make it fun and different. And I've heard people talk about when the Nintendo Wii came onto the scene many years after 1985. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that stood out about it was that it was the, the, the term that they often I've heard used in terms of business is that it was a blue ocean. It was a completely new group of people and customers and ideas that didn't directly compete with the other video game systems, the giants. And I feel like to this day, we're seeing that thread continue. You know, we have our, our PlayStation uh, 4 and hopefully soon our PlayStation 5. And of course, we had our Xbox 360s back in the day too. But those are going to be the big dogs. And then we always have this additional Nintendo console, be it the, the GameCube, be it the Wii, be it now the Switch. It's just such a nice, different experience that that has some of the same good parts of the bigger systems, but also does some of its own unique things. And I I really give them credit. And you could see it all the way back at the very beginning of their DNA. Well, I guess before they made video games, they were making their playing cards, but at least from their video game DNA. For sure. Nintendo has always been the company and the the machine that's about fun. There were some notable non-Nintendo video games released in 85 as well, some arcade games, some classics. We had Gauntlet, which may have been the first co-op game I remember playing in the arcade. It was it was up to four players. That was a big deal and a lot of fun. Uh, Paperboy came out in 85, which is just an infuriatingly hard game. <laughs> and so cool when it had the actual handlebar yeah. on the arcade game. So yep. again, taking a little bit of that, of that cue from, from more gamification. Some Sega classics, Hang On, Space Harrier, Capcom greats like Commando, Ghosts and Goblins. On the home computer... Some games we saw, some some well-known games we saw for the first time. Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? That franchise first started. One we spent many hours with in school, the Oregon Trail. We died of dysentery many times. Many. And Oregon Trail really has stayed with us culturally because you can actually get it now, I think, at Target as a little tiny... As a handheld, yeah. Handheld, right? A fully contained handheld that plays the whole game again. Incredible. 
There was a zombie game called The Organ Trail that I've always wanted. It's like a zombie version of it where you're running away from zombies. That looks super fun. Nice. 85 gave us uh, We Are the World, that big benefit song by, uh, what was the official name? USA for Africa, I think was the name of the, the group they came up with. The song was written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. Wow. And just a famous video. At the time, everybody who was anybody at the time, Cindy Lauper, Michael Jackson, of course, it was a big deal. It was constantly on MTV. And then in the real world, we were drinking new Coke, or more to the point, we were rejecting new Coke yes. in favor of old Coke. We were watching our beloved Chicago Bears go to the Super Bowl and singing along with the Super Bowl shuffle. And uh, we were definitely in a wonderful time for creativity because what we were reading in the comic section in the newspaper was Calvin and Hobbes. That was the year it actually came out in the, in the syndicated paper. Can you believe it? That's uh, yet again, another thing I'm going to tell my kids about one day. First of all, number one, newspapers right now, they're the things in people's driveway that they ride their bikes over and (laughs) just the comic section. There was this little comic section and most of them were pretty bad, right? They weren't particularly funny. This, the serialized ones were not very exciting, but Calvin and Hobbes just always felt special. Clever, special, funny, you know, insightful too, and beautifully drawn. But yeah, the serialized ones were hilarious because I felt like no matter how many days in a row I looked at them, I simply could never (laughs) get into the story. story. I felt like I was like 10 years late. It's like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to get in. I guess you had to get in here when you get seventies. Well, when you're getting your, your story drip fed to you three panels a day, um, when you're able to get the newspaper, it's, (laughs) it's pretty hard. We were using windows for the first time, Microsoft windows in 85. Oh my it's just gosh. so much stuff, right? This this one year, I challenge you, listeners, to find another year with as many important cultural touchstones and popular culture events as 85. I don't think it could be done. In fact, so many of these things, as we said, we could make a podcast about just about any of these things, right? That's how, that's how important it is and how central it is, both, we think, to modern American culture, but also to our own personal development and our likes and interests, really so many of those things stem from 1985. And I think that's going to be a recurring theme and a thread for this podcast. So much of what we're interested in is around that year and really plays a role in shaping our likes and, and our interests today. And you get to hear about it. And you get to tell us about it, about what you think. What, uh, what topics would you like to hear us talk about? You could find us at McQuaid Arcade on just about everything. Right now, you can email us at McQuaidArcade at gmail.com. Show ideas. You like the show. You don't like the show. Whatever. Let us know. And on that note, thank you for listening. And remember, stay limber.